0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, a military leadership rocked by allegations of misconduct gets a shakeup as the federal government also plans an independent body to investigate claims of wrongdoing. Why is it so hard to change the culture in the Canadian forces? Our parliamentary procedural games slowing the flow of pandemic benefits to Canadians and blocking key bills and perhaps boosting the prospects of a snap election? MPs will be here to debate that. And waiting for guidance. As more and more Canadians get vaccinated, the discussion turns to the rules for uh, distancing and socializing. But we'll begin tonight with more changes in the senior ranks of the leadership at the Department of National Defence in the wake of allegations of sexual misconduct against senior leaders. Lieutenant General Frances Allen will become the first female Vice Chief of the Defence Staff, responsible for day-to-day administration of the forces. She will take over from Lieutenant General Mike Rouleau, who's being moved to an advisory role to make room for General Allen. The change occurs as the newly named Defence Chief, Admiral Art Macdonald, and the former Chief, General Jonathan Vance, being investigated for alleged sexual misconduct. The government, facing stiff criticism for its handling of the allegations, is also poised to set up an independent body to investigate allegations of sexual misconduct, racism and discrimination in the forces. We will uh, continue to move forward on measures to ensure that we are not only giving those supports uh, to people who come forward, but also ensuring that we're putting in place uh, independent mechanisms uh, to, to put an end uh, to these, uh, these troubling allegations and this behavior uh,
1: once and for all. I do not want to see a new uh, Ombudsman or Officer of Parliament or Inspector General reporting to the Minister of Defence, because we had the last Ombudsman report to the Minister of Defence, and he sat on the allegation for three years, and he, he let down the women wearing the uniform of their country. So I've called for a freeze on on promotions and salary increases to the general ranks while we have an independent investigation so that we can restore confidence in this important institution. Even if your complaint makes it to the desk of the defense minister, nothing's going to happen. That is that is wrong. That is, there's no other way around that. That is wrong. And that has to be a culture that has to be fixed. There's no way that should ever happen. And, and, and that it happened can't just be brushed aside. It's is a serious, and it goes right to the top. It goes to the prime minister as well. It's his responsibility to make sure women are safe in the military. And that is the opposite of what's happened so far.
0: Well, how significant are these changes being undertaken now to change the structure and culture in the Canadian Armed Forces? Lena Tamsido, Dr. Lena Tamsido, is a postdoctoral research fellow in the Centre for International and Defence Policy at Queen's University in Kingston. She's with me now, as you can see. Good to see you. Uh, Doctor, thanks for being with us.
2: Thank
0: you for having me. Look, um, let me start with the, the appointment we have today, the, sh- the shakeup at d with Lieutenant General Francis Allen appointed as the Vice Chief of the Defense Staff. First woman to hold that position. How significant is that in the context of, of the current crisis we're watching unfold in the senior ranks of the military?
2: Um, quite frankly, I think it's, um, it's due time to have um, some women in leadership positions. I think uh, the government's moving quite quickly, which is uh, a positive uh, response to give, given everything that's been happening the, uh, the past couple of weeks.
0: What change can she be expected uh, to achieve or to try to achieve? When you know, I think there seems to be a consensus that the programs that the forces have implemented since 2015 have had uh, little effect on the military culture so far. So what's she facing?
2: I think she's facing a bit of an uphill battle. I mean, being a woman um, of high rank within the military, she is well aware of the, mil- the current military culture. So, I mean, she's in a position where she can lead and make substantive changes to um, what has been plaguing the military this entire time.
0: What do you think we should watch for?
2: I think um, we're going to be watching for someone who will start to change the, the tone and the culture of, of uh, the Canadian Armed Forces. I mean, when we talk about uh, sexual misconduct, we're not talking about just singular acts of sexual misconduct. This is uh, something that's systemic. It's a culture shift that needs to happen. It's a, a culture that really um, thrives on having compliance and and a, a, a very strong... Uh, sh- structure of, of hierarchy which is important for given the task uh, for what the Canadian Armed Forces is, is meant to do however um, what we're finding is that people are abusing that that um, inherent hierarchy in, in structure of power so what we're seeing with the appointment of, of lieutenant Gen- general um, uh, Francis Allen is that that she might be bringing in a this this uh, tone of change that you know that the traditional uh, male masculine uh, male-dominated um uh, tone and culture might be beginning to shift.
0: Tell, tell me more about that. Is, is, is that what makes change so difficult in the forces? this, you know, the, the stuff that prepares uh, soldiers and military personnel for a crisis response, that cohesiveness, is the same thing that tamps down uh, this, you know, this uh, ability to push back when, when there are incidences of, of, of wrongdoing. Tell me more about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the military culture is characterized by compliance of unity, of um, of um, cohesion. And once, you know, anyone sort of steps outside of that or challenges, um, you know, it, any sort of instruction or, or culture gets to it gets ostracized. So I mean, that's what we've seen historically is that you know women are having a difficult time um, coming out and um, disclosing these these incidences, um, and so efforts have been made to change the culture. However, I mean we've seen you know various you know things come into place like Operation Honor, which have been implemented and with you know very little success. Mm-hmm. So with change in leadership and sort of leading this culture change, um, hopefully we'll be able to we'll see some uh, substantive changes.
0: We're expecting the government to announce soon an arm's length independent investigations mm-hmm. body to take up complaints of sexual misconduct or racism, discrimination in the military and, and take those investigations away from the military itself. How important will that new organization be?
2: It is absolutely vital to have something that's outside of the chain of the command um, one of the things that uh, I've heard from the, the research that I've been a part of is that, you know, there is um, very, you know, high levels of suspicion, lack of trust uh, amongst people who sort of step outside of, you know, what is the expectation of behavior and, and rule is. So having something that's arm's length, that is not within the direct chain of command um, will come um, as a, a great welcome for people who need that support.
0: An independent investigative body was, a, a, as you know, a key recommendation of Justice Deschamps' report in 2015. So we're going back six years now. The mm-hmm. government seems to now only apparently be coming around to the conclusion that, yeah, the military can't investigate itself. We need to take this outside uh, the chain of command and outside of the military. Why is it taking so long?
2: I mean... Uh- there's been so many recommendations within the Deschamps report that have been implemented over time, um, and it does take some time to sort of look, have um, an opportunity to look back to see what the problems are. Unfortunately, you know the the risk of that of sort of giving some time for things to sort of play out is that people do get hurt. So with, you know, the uh, increased attention on what's been happening sort of at the top of the military has really spurred people and outrage right across the country saying, you know, something needs to be done. So, you know, they've looked back at recommendations that were made in uh, 2015.
0: Let me uh, just quickly, in the few seconds we have left, uh, this investigative body would—it's uh, not clear yet whether it, it will report to the defense minister or to parliament. Which should it be, in your view?
2: In my opinion, it should be um, to parliament because parliament represents Canadians, and you know, it's—it's it's, uh, the the this body needs to be accountable to to Canadians, and this needs to be happening with consultation with the public and from people that are stakeholders.
0: All right, uh, Dr. uh, Lena Tamsito, thanks so much for your perspective this evening. Uh, Thanks for sharing it. We'll talk again.
2: Thank you so much for your time.
0: MPs today debated a motion from the Conservatives to ensure the upcoming budget includes specific measures to help workers in sectors hard hit by the pandemic such as hospitality and tourism and small and medium-sized businesses. But while the Conservatives are calling for more pandemic help, they're being accused of holding up key government bills that uh, would deliver more financial aid and blocking other key government legislation including the proposed changes to the assisted dying rules. We certainly hope uh, that parties in the House, particularly the Conservative Party, will stop playing games, blocking and obstructing the passage of important legislation from a medical assistance in dying to measures to support families. We know it's important that our democracy continues to function, that we continue to have robust debate around all these measures. But even the NDP and the Bloc are now pointing out that
1: the Conservatives are being obstructionist I would like the government to start showing some leadership and, and stop with the diversion campaigns like we're delaying things. If C7 was that important to the government, it's only coming up today. Where was it Monday? Where was it Tuesday? They're introducing new bills all the time, some of them with very little or no consultation ahead of them. The government should stop this sideshow of delays and just start managing their affairs professionally. So
0: is the Liberal government's legislative agenda a shambles or is the government uh, laying the narrative perhaps to call a snap election this spring? Let's bring in three members of Parliament to debate that. Sean Fraser is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Finance, Pat Kelly is the critic for small business and Western economic development for the official opposition and uh, Peter Julian is the finance critic for the NDP. Good to see you all gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Fraser, let me start with you. How are the Conservatives tying up the government's agenda? What have they been doing?
3: Uh, Sure. Well, look, there's a couple examples that come to mind right away. Uh, Last Mm -hmm. night, uh, Bill C-14 obviously uh, finally came to a vote, which garnered the support of a majority of members of the House of Commons, but not the Conservatives, to extend business supports to uh, uh, Canadian uh, businesses and and supports to families. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it took us weeks to get there. Uh, The reality is they use procedural tactics, including uh, tying up for hours and hours in debate uh, on simple things like affirming the competence of the president of the Canadian tourism Commission and to uh, insist on debate for things that were unanimously agreed to. Uh, we seem to see uh, some of these tactics being used again for, for Bill C-24, which is trying to extend EI supports to vulnerable Canadians. Right. And I might say I, I should thank my colleague, Mr. Julian, for some of his efforts to break this impasse. Uh, but to date, unfortunately, the official opposition uh, would not let these things progress. All
0: right. And Mr. Kelly, Conservatives presented a motion to the House today to ensure the, the budget provides more financial assistance for hard-hit sectors of the economy. Uh, but at the same time, you have put up speaker after speaker to make uh, many of the same points about Bill c that's the government's pandemic relief measures. Um, so, what about these allegations, that and accusations, that you're deliberately slowing down uh, the government's agenda here, and for what purpose?
4: Well,
5: I don't think that's a fair characterization at all. This, the opposition has worked constructively with the government throughout the pandemic. We proposed uh, a whole series of, of changes to problems with their legislation all along. And um, look, the, the parliament, we're not here to be an audience uh, for the government. We are here to debate legislation. And part of the problems that we've seen in, uh, in, in bills that they brought about is uh, mistakes that have had to go back and, and be fixed later. And uh, we're not going to just uh, allow the government to uh, pass bills without debate and um so the government the, the conservatives are not um we're doing our job as an opposition and debating legislation the, that is brought forward I, by the I, government
0: i guess the argument being that c14 uh, is is provides some pandemic relief measures for canadians and so if it doesn't get passed it's actually they're the ones who actually suffer for it
5: well it's not as as simple as that this okay. bill is, goes way beyond uh the the support Measures that we that we do agree with, and uh, and we are not going to see uh, Canadians that have been uh, that have lost their livelihoods due to uh, to to um, requirements of, of for public health uh, go without support. Oh. But uh, don't forget, this bill uh, contains an a, an his uh, an unprecedented expansion of the government's borrowing power uh, that potentially trans has transformative. Right. Uh, uh, possibilities but, for, but those for points the have been made
0: again and again by conservatives at what point uh, do you have do you, is it time to uh, vote or not on the bill uh, vote on the bill one way or the other well, we, we voted on the okay. bill yesterday yeah, the I bill know. is going so, to go
5: to committee and we're going to study it at committee and we're going to bring uh i imagine that okay. uh, each party is going to recommend witnesses for the committee and we'll have a, a thorough proper study
4: at committee right, on mr this
0: julian where do, where do you come down on this Who, who's to blame for uh, some of these important bills getting bogged down in the house
4: well, I, I think actually both both of uh, both of the other parties have uh, have, for their own proper reason, uh, tried to posture rather than moving moving things forward in a way that actually deals with so. The most so important did, did, Mr. Fraser say,
0: did Mr. Fraser thank you too early in, the, in his opening comments?
4: <laughs> well, he, he knows that we set out a plan uh, this week. I wrote to the government house leader and, and basically the what the NDP's position is, is that we, uh, we certainly want to get legislation forward like C-15, like C-12, that the government has simply left uh, languish on the order paper rather than bringing it forward in the house agenda. We believe that these are important pieces of legislation that the government hasn't hasn't uh, put forward. And I, I think part of that is that they're preparing for an election. And this is part of their justification is to say, well, this legislation didn't get through. But they didn't actually put it on the agenda. Uh, for the Conservatives, uh, yes, they are trying to block legislation. I think that's clear to everybody. But what the NDP has proposed is that we work night and day. Let's sit every evening. Let's make sure that we're getting that fulsome debate around legislation, but at the same time, we can work harder and work better, and in that way, get this legislation through. We do not believe it's appropriate to have an election at this time, and we deplore the Liberals' preparation for an election. Uh, but we think the Conservatives are kind of playing into the Liberals' narrative of not being able to get things through the House by the stalling tactics.
0: Mr. Mr. Fraser, why isn't the government moving closure if these bills are so important? Move, move closure to limit the remaining debate on some of these key bills if they're so important. Find a partner that'll, that'll help you uh, move closure, get them passed more quickly. Why aren't you doing that?
3: Well look, our focus too is is to extend emergency support to Canadian households and businesses as quickly as possible. Uh, Using closure to uh, uh, prematurely limit debate uh, wouldn't necessarily, uh, wouldn't be necessary uh, if parties would actually avoid just uh, giving repetitious speeches. But one of the things that I want to no, point but, out but for weeks, is weeks your party, but purely-
0: Hang on, Mr. For, we- for weeks, your party suggested the Conservatives were holding up Bill uh, C-14, the pandemic relief, and, and now it's been passed out of the House. But for weeks, you've been saying they're stalling it. So if that was the case, why didn't you impose closure? I know you want to hear debate, but it sounds like you'd heard enough. Your patience had run out of it, C-14, but you didn't invoke closure.
3: Well, look. This is an important point because it's not actually just the re- repetitious nature of the debate that's been taking place. Uh, we've seen on multiple occasions the Conservatives actually use concurrence motions of committee reports that committees unan or that members of the House unanimously agreed to to actually prevent uh, the legislative agenda from being advanced. So it seems, regardless of what uh, uh, solution we, we may want to bring forward, there's going to be another tool employed by the opposition to delay these benefits to getting Canadians in need.
0: Right. But but is this about building a narrative so? You- can call a snap election saying look we can't work with the other parties they're dysfunctional we need to go to an election so we can uh, you know implement our recovery plan for Canada
3: Uh, not at all and look let me be unequivocal that is not anybody's desire I don't think it's the desire of any party uh, any member of any party in the house Uh, our focus right now is to move forward legislation that's actually actually going to improve the quality of life for Canadian households and support Canadian businesses there's an awful lot of talk
0: Okay, let me jump. Mr. Kelly, look, one of the bills that's, uh, that everybody's watching is the, uh, the legislative changes to the assisted dying uh, regimen, and uh, that's still before the House, still being debated. And, uh, are, are conservatives trying to delay the passage of, of the assisted dying uh, bill changes uh, till after the virtual convention next week so as not to anger the social conservative wing of the party? That's what the block leader, uh, Mr. Blanchet, suggested today. you. That's, that's what he said you're doing.
5: Well, he's entitled to his opinion, but uh, there's there's that's uh, that that is not uh, there's no agenda uh, around that. We have members of, of our caucus, and, and indeed members of parliament. All members of parliament should use their voice in parliament to speak on behalf of their constituents and be on on about issues that are important to them. And um, we we hear this. We've heard this throughout the last parliament. We heard it in this parliament that uh, the for the government to uh, characterize. MPs doing their job, engaging in debate as uh, as just obstructing the, the government's agenda. Look, Bill C7 was seriously uh, amended; what was mm-hmm. was significantly amended in the Senate, and uh, many members have um, have a different opinion of this bill now than they, they would have uh, before it was amended. That the amendments are not trivial; they're they're fundamental to the to the bill. And, uh, and they should be debated. Okay. And if, uh, if members not... want to debate them and have, have something to say on the bill on behalf of their constituents, they ought to be allowed to do so. That's okay. their job. Mr. That's Julian, what they were elected to do.
0: What's your view on that? Your leader, Mr. Singh, has said today the NDP isn't ready to support shutting down the debate on assisted dying because of the concerns of the disability community. And the NDP wants more funding for the disability community. So, I mean, the conservatives aren't, wait, alone. Wait, the conservatives aren't alone in arguing for more debate, on, at least on C7.
4: Well, we're, we're, what we've said is that people with disabilities actually need to have supports in place right across the country. And that's, that's what we've been pressing for over the last few months. But the, the reality is, if, if the Conservatives want more debate, we've said, we've suggested and we proposed yesterday, let's sit all evening. Let's uh, work harder. Let's work smarter. And this is what I what I find uh, uh, disingenuous is when conservatives will not accept these evening sessions that the NDP is proposing, but at the same time say that they need more debate. And, And there is no doubt that Mr. Trudeau is preparing for an election. Jagmeet Singh has asked him repeatedly to uh to be very clear that he will not call an election during this yeah. pandemic and he's refused to answer okay, let me... uh, the NDP's position is clear we do not believe it is in Canada's interest to have an election in the middle of a pandemic all right mr Kelly why not sit nights
5: well we we have agreed to uh to, to additional sittings uh, sorry to uh to a, a a parliamentary workload beyond uh, that which is normal. Uh, look no further than our own finance committee that is uh, that is working uh, throughout yeah. the constituency weeks to make sure that that private members' bills have time to be debated properly at, uh, at committee. And uh, we're we're all ready to uh, to begin debate. But would you to, favor? To would you, but
0: but you don't favor uh, late night sittings of the house to clear some of this legislative backlog. Well, I
5: think the the the. the Government has to be responsible for the mismanagement of its own uh, of its own uh, agenda and its own uh, calendar. I mean, this is a government that prorogued the House and created right, so its own series of that, uh, like I don't want to dwell too reasons. much. But that
0: may be the case, but here we are. And if these bills, if you want these measures passed, and you think there's there's room for more debate, you can do that by having night sittings, regardless of who's responsible for mismanaging. Here you are. So why not more late night sittings?
5: Well, some of these bills are. are, are the, look, the the C seven uh, bill, as we've heard, other parties uh, uh, agree that it needs to be to be debated, and uh, and should be debated. Okay. Um, we have we have engaged in emergency debate in the evening. It's not like we haven't had evening sittings, and uh, we, we right, have. But emergency
0: debate, like I don't want to get into the weeds here with people. Emergency debates right. are a whole different set of set of rules and requirements than than well, having parties that agree for, uh, unanimously to extend debate. Right. I, 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 I'll, I'll have to leave it at that. Uh, we'll have a chance to come back at this, I'm sure. Uh, thank you all for your time today, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank
4: Pleasure you. as always. Thanks. Thank you very much. Take care.
0: The United States has issued its guidelines for how people who have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19 can alter their behaviors, including gathering without masks or restrictions inside with others who've been immunized and meeting grandchildren again. What about guidance for Canadians who've been vaccinated in this country? Here's Canada's Chief Medical Officer of Health earlier today.
6: We have considerable community level transmission at the moment, although things have improved. We don't know what the variant's about to do and whether we can keep control on their, their, their spread at the same moment as the vaccine coverage is just beginning. So I think we need to take a thoughtful approach but it is important that we we have to evolve our public health approach as 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 more Canadians are getting vaccinated. So I think um, you know we our key message is keep keep your current personal protective measures for now.
0: Dr. Lisa Barrett is an infectious disease specialist at Dalhousie University's Department of Medicine in Halifax. She's with me now. Good to see you again, Dr. Barrett. Thanks for the time you're uh, uh, giving us this evening to talk about this. Uh, The United States started, uh, look, they're ahead of Canada on vaccinating their population. And the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention in the U.S. is now issuing guidelines about what precautions can be dropped after you've received two shots of vaccine. For instance, spending time with other immunized people without a mask in private settings, hugging your grandkids and so on. When's the time to have that conversation about uh, how Canadians who've been vaccinated should behave? And would our advice be any different?
6: Yeah, it's it's a hot topic these days. Uh, the rate of change of information and data around vaccines is very, very fast, and we're getting more and more information that says that even if you're not completely protected from infection with one of these vaccines, you certainly are protected from severe disease and the high viral loads, perhaps that lead to higher or faster transmission. So it does seem uh, that the CDC guidance makes some sense. Um, Here in Canada, we are further behind on vaccination and in particular getting uh, people fully vaccinated. So the CDC guidance does refer to people who are fully vaccinated and for uh, mask off behavior or activities in the home. So still not random outings of mask off behavior with just anyone just because you're vaccinated. Um, Hopefully we'll start to see uh, that we'll get enough people with both doses here in Canada soon. And it's a really good conversation to have, um, but we should be mindful of ongoing changes with variants. And if we do open that up, be also prepared to change it if we see a signal that it's a little too much too soon. Right. These are you
0: know, these are some of the points that Dr. Tam made today. This concerns around still signs of community spread and uh, the saturation of vaccination, right? Those two things are so clearly interconnected uh, when we start talking about when it's time to ease restrictions.
6: Absolutely. So we're not talking about herd immunity or saturation immunity, even in the U.S. when they are talking about these CDC guidelines around getting some activities within the home, within family members uh, for mask off activity. Um, In Canada, I think we still have some good opportunities to include regular and routine testing, even if people have been vaccinated, to kind of augment and add extra layers of protection to their new social activities as they go forward. But certainly when community spread is present and or people haven't received both doses, even that in-home activity among unmasked um, folks who are coming from different places, perhaps, we should really take with a grain of salt, go go low and go slow. Right. Uh, Look, we're seeing a new
0: outbreak at a nursing home in British Columbia uh, among residents and staff who have, in fact, already been vaccinated and uh, some new infections in, in people who have had both shots of
6: vaccine already. What should we take from that? Yeah, I I don't think this is completely unexpected. I You know, I'm an immunologist as well as an infectious disease person and I am very very carefully watching the variants that are out there in the community but also the real world experience with these vaccines. It does take up to two weeks after your first shot and of course two weeks after your second shot to become fully vaccinated, to have full effect of the vaccines. So With that caveat, even now we may start to see that there are some various types of the virus that might not be as responsive. And this is exactly why continued testing, early surveillance is going to be so key over the next number of months. So I don't think I would expect that our fully vaccinated communities are going to be without outbreaks, We have to keep on with testing, tracking, and being very mindful of symptoms as we go forward. We are also hearing
0: some cases of people suggesting, look, they might hold on uh, getting vaccinated, hold off rather, uh, so they can wait for one of the vaccines that has proven more effective, uh, rather than uh, maybe some of the ones that have slightly less, uh, uh, proven less effective. What's your response to that kind of thinking?
6: Yeah, it's, it's really confusing information, really confusing messaging. So the first thing is that um, all of these vaccines are safe and all of them work very, very well against the worst outcome. So I think people should remember that. I think getting any vaccine, especially the first dose, is going to be really important. Even if people around you are getting that first dose and it's not perfect, perfect in terms of the responsiveness, no vaccine is by the way, um, that's still better than having not vaccinated people around you. So short answer, take any vaccine that comes towards you, especially for the first dose. And then also expect to learn more as we go on and we will optimize vaccines, both the dosing, the schedule, as we go forward. All of them are safe, all of them are good. And so I think holding off right now Not something I'd recommend, particularly if we want to get populations that are starting to get vaccinated.
0: Dr. Lisa Barrett, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us again this evening. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's our time for this edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time.